I'm going to just begin with a little bit of announcement because uh, I've got some good news I want to share with you. Uh, back in September 2021, we began the journey of trying to find a youth director, and the good news is we found one. So, yeah, I know, we didn't think it was going to happen, but they signed the paperwork this week, and now I'm allowed to hope that it's happening. So anyways, let me tell you about it. So we, a couple weeks ago, we, we asked you to be praying for us, because we found somebody, uh, and we thought it was great, we were inviting them to an, an interview, and we brought together a team of stakeholders, about four parents, uh, Pastor Shar was a part of that, I was a part of that, uh, we had a couple, youth, well, one youth leader was able to be present that week, and so we had this nice, wonderful conversation, and the result is, we invited Alyssa Colnut to be our youth director, our director of student ministries, and she will be starting at the end of May, uh, the Tuesday after uh, the long weekend, in fact. And despite the fact that that seems long away, I mean, she's got to finish up school right now, and so we're giving her space to do that. She had some other plans, but she's going to be visiting our student ministry the first couple Thursdays in May, so she gets a chance to get to know us. We get a chance to get to know her. She was very excited to be able to do that, and so we're excited to be including Alyssa as a part of our team. Uh, Alyssa is currently completing her Honors Bachelor of Arts in Youth and Children with a minor in Psychology at Wilfrid Laurier. Honestly, I think that degree is going to serve her very well uh, working with our students. Um, that's not a dig. I think it's just a wonderful... I was a youth pastor for a long time, and this is the degree I should have had, okay? Let me just say that. Uh, she has experience working, working with children and students in a whole variety of settings, uh, including experience as a, vol as a volunteer youth director at a, in a church setting. And so uh, that's great. She comes with, here with a fair amount of experience and some excitement. And as an uh, interview team, what impressed us is just the, the ease that, in which she engaged us. I just sat back and watched the conversation take place. And everybody was fully engaged in that conversation. It was very, a uh, very positive experience. And, and she clearly has a heart for connecting with our students on a relational level. And I think it really will meet the needs of our, of our student ministry right now. Uh, Alyssa will be joined by her husband, Alex, and they are excited to become a part of our church family. They actually snuck into church here last Sunday and had such a good time. They said, yes, we'll stay. No, thank you. They, they just got to know West Heights just a little bit. Uh, and uh, we, we bragged a lot about the coffee, actually during the interview. We were actually were afraid that we oversold it, but they, they liked it, so I guess that's okay. I would ask that as we anticipate their arrival, that we would be praying for this transition, We're praying for our transition for our students as they get to know somebody new, pray for Alyssa and Alex as they get to become a part of a whole new congregation. I always say working at a church is a bit of an interesting thing because it's this all-encompassing part of, like, it's not simple. It's not like you just take a job. It's a part of your spiritual life, your family life, your social life, and your professional life all kind of come together here. And so there, there's a lot to be praying for as we, you know, anticipate somebody new coming along, that this would be a good thing for them and a good thing for us. Uh, if you have any questions about this, want to know more about the process, want to know more about Alyssa, feel free to talk with me after the service. We'd love to chat with you about it, but we're very excited to have her join us. One other thing I'm going to say just before we get into our, our teaching time is if you looked at our um, email that came out this morning, there is a thank you from the community center. They came this week and they grabbed some of the diapers for the distribution program. And uh, they, they were telling us a couple stories and we included a story in the email. And I won't tell you the whole story, but it's a personal story about how our generosity is helping some very specific people in our community going through some really hard stuff. And we get to be a part of it. And I think when we first talked 
started talking about this, this program most recently, we heard the number, there's about 100 families in our community accessing the support program. I believe, and Sarah nod if I got this correct, it's about 120 people, families are accessing it now, and so that number has gone up since we first heard about it. And so this is just one way that we are part of what God is doing and serving and loving our neighbors. And so thank you once again for being a part of that. Why don't we just take a quick moment and pray before we get into our teaching time. Lord Jesus, thank you again for, for who you are and what you are doing. And Lord, for the fact that we get to worship in community, Lord, we want to say thank you. Uh, that we get to sit alongside one another, hear one another's voices. And Lord, together we get to express what it means to be uh, a part of your, church, your family here at West Heights Community Church here in this neighborhood. And Lord, we're grateful for the opportunities that we have to, to bless our neighbors. And Lord, we just ask that, um, that the little bits that we're able to do through these diapers and these wipes would really have a positive impact and would be really helpful uh, to those in our community. Lord, help us to have our eyes and ears open for other ways that we, in which we can serve and love uh, those around us. Lord, we're also grateful, we're so grateful that we can make an announcement about Alyssa coming to be a part of our staff team, parting to lead, coming to lead our student ministry. Lord, it feels like it's been a long time. Uh, for some of us, it feels like this is hard to believe that it's actually happened. Um, God, we want to say thank you. And Lord, we want to ask that you would help this period of transition to go smoothly. Lord, that you would help Alyssa to finish her studies well, to feel good about what she's wrapping up and what she's able to accomplish. Lord, that the time of rest following this period of study would be good for her. And Lord, for her and Alex, as they, they come and they make West Heights a part of, they become a part of the West Heights family. Lord, we just ask that you would help us to be a welcoming, supportive community, and Lord, that we would be receptive to how you are at work in their lives, Lord. We're grateful for the opportunity to grow in this way. Lord, as we turn to our teaching time this morning, we ask that you would just give us just the ability to put aside the worries of this week, the concerns of today, Lord, and to be listening for how you might want to speak to us during this time. In your name we pray, amen. My, uh, my grandma, my grandma Curry, you didn't even know her last name, but that's her last name, drove a Honda Civic for the last 20 years of her driving, the same Honda Civic for 20 years. And uh, the reason why she was able to drive this car for so long was, one, she only went and got groceries and went to church, that was it, but she also took very good care of it. Uh, she made every service appointment. She made it to every oil change. She took up every recommendation a mechanic ever made to her. And as a result, this car was old, but it was running like it was brand new. And one of the things that she did every year was to make sure that her car got undercoated every year. Now, the reason why people buy the undercoating service for their vehicle is because we are told that it extends the life of a vehicle, that the metal components that are under, on the under part of the car uh, in time will rust. The frame, the wires, those cables, they will rust. And, we, and if we don't, the weather and the time will just make it so that you, the rust will just literally eat your vehicle. You might not actually drive a vehicle like this, but it could happen perhaps. I don't know. You know, as we reflect on our own lives, it would be wise for us to recognize that there are things that can be corrosive to us. Patterns of thinking, patterns of behavior that if left unchecked can eat away at our hearts, can eat away at our minds, and can, can slowly destroy our relationships and, and destroy things that are good and leaving, what, leaving just an empty shell behind. And one of the things that, that can do this is in how we relate to those folks that have caused us harm 
and those people that we might see as being against us in some way. Sometimes we call these people enemies, don't we? Now, what seems to come naturally to us is, is, harboring is to accept that harboring attitudes of hatred is okay. But here's the thing. Just like rust can slowly eat away at the metal of a vehicle, hatred, and there's a whole variety, uh, a whole range of, of ways that we experience hatred that could include animosity and bitterness and, and resentment and, and more, all that can eat away at us. And this morning, what we want to do is we want to explore how Jesus calls, up, calls us to give up this mindset of, of enemies and, and, and allowing hatred to eat away at us. And, and we're going to explore what it means to give that up. And so the big idea that we're going to explore this morning is that Jesus invites us to replace our enemy hatred with enemy love. Now, before we get, go any further with this, I want to just kind of say two quick things before we get, get too far into what we're going to talk about this morning. And the first is that in order to deal with our hurts, we actually have to acknowledge our hurts. Uh, our intention this morning is not to minimize or deny the reality of the hurts that other people may have caused us, nor is it our intention to minimize the reality that some of us have people in our lives who are intentionally or maybe unintentionally making our lives harder than, it needs, than they need to be. Our experiences are real. I want to say that our experiences are real. And for healing to happen, we can't be downplaying or denying that things have happened to us. The second thing I want to just say quickly is that our stories of pain are often very complicated. And in what we're talking about this morning, it's not my intention to make it sound like the process of healing is easy. Um, and that we can get over it in three quick steps. If I did that, I would be lying to you and be very disingenuous. That's not our point. What we're talking about is hard work and it will take time. And in fact, for some of us, it, it will mean that we need to talk to some trained professionals that aren't me, people who are trained in, in helping people navigate this type of thing. And if you need help knowing where to start, we've included some resources in our, re, in our sermon notes uh, this morning. You can find the notes on the, uh, on the app or you can find them online later this week. These are the resources that we make available. If somebody were to call us and say, hey, Josh, I need to see a counselor. Where do I go? We would sh this would be the page that we'd share with you. And so if that would be helpful for you, those, those are available, that resource page is available for you this morning. This morning, we are going to look at something that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5. And if you were following with us earlier this year, uh, we started the year with a teaching series called Practicing Shalom. And this morning, what we're going to talk about this morning is very much a reprise of that series. And so if it sounds familiar, it kind of is, uh, although we're, it's a it is a fresh message. And this morning, I'm going to make two points about what Jesus has to say in this passage and then end by, by talking about one of the hard things that we are called to do as we engage in trying to give up our enemy hatred and instead embrace what it means to, to practice enemy love or loving our enemies. And so we're going to start by reading from Matthew chapter 5, verse, starting at verse 43. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
Our first point this morning is that Jesus invites us to reflect on the accepted way of relating to our enemies. Jesus calls us to reflect on the accepted way of relating to our enemies. And he starts by saying, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the command to love your neighbor is deeply rooted in Jewish scripture. Uh, it shows up in Leviticus chapter 19, and, and it forms a prominent part of Jesus' teaching. But the hating your enemy part isn't a command from scripture. It's not. Rather, it appears that Jesus is referring to an attitude that was generally accepted in his day. And in Jesus' day, they had literal enemies walking around, forcing their will on Jesus' people. They were called the Romans. And the common sentiment was, you know what? It's okay to harbor uh, feelings of hatred towards people like this. It was just the way that it was, and it was assumed that's the way it should be. This week, I was on a Zoom call with someone who was demonstrating a, a product that they thought that our church could benefit from. And for the purposes of this demonstration, they were showing us their phone home screen. And there on their home screen was a news app that, I'm going to say, half of North America thinks it's the truth, and the other half of North America thinks that it's full of partisan lies. I'll let you figure out which of the two news apps I'm talking about. Depending on your political persuasion, one particular one might come to mind, or maybe it's the other one. Anyways. What shocked me, though, when I saw it was this instinctual thing that crept up inside of me, and it wasn't positive. I saw it and I was like, oh man, this guy, really? Because my ideological perspective, at least from my stereotype here, my ideological perspective and this person's ideological perspective, in my mind, were on opposite sides of the spectrum. Now, he had never actually caused me harm. We'd actually never had a conversation before this. But ideologically, I was thinking, we're at odds, and in this brief moment, brief moment, I saw him as my enemy. It kind of actually scared me that that was one of the first things that went through my mind. You know, this way of thinking is pretty normal in our society today. We find ourselves, as we discussed back in this uh, Practicing Shalom series, we find ourselves in a, living in increasingly divided and polarized times where it seems to be uh, acceptable that we see folks across the aisle from us on whatever issue uh, it may be as being enemies that need to be beaten or conquered or persuaded. That's just the way that it is. And not only that, uh, it's accepted that, you know, it's okay for us to harbor feelings of hatred, animosity, resentment, bitterness. It's okay for us to harbor those types of feelings towards others, um, especially when the person in question may have caused us harm or maybe they're making our lives difficult. It's okay to think that way about those people because they deserve it. But what Jesus has to say in our passage, and what Jesus has to say is he isn't speaking in support of of the way things are. He isn't speaking in, in support of like our, maybe our default thoughts and, 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 and patterns of thinking when we interact with somebody who is different than us or has caused us difficulty. Rather, Jesus is about to turn our assumptions upside down and provide another way. And we're going to look at that in a moment. But first, I want to re recognize that in these verses, Jesus is questioning, is inviting us to question the way that things are. And that's what Jesus is doing in verses 46 and 47 when he points out that if those who are listening to him only love the people who love them back, if they only greet the people who, who are like them, he says, how are you any better than anybody else? And he names two groups of people that his Jewish audience would have thought that they were superior to, the tax collectors and the pagans. He says, how are you better than 
they are. Those people that you, you think that you're better than, how, are you acting any better than they are? The answer is no. You know, here we have a group of people who are said to be God's chosen people, the Jewish people, with the calling to invite people to, to get to know God for themselves, but they aren't acting any differently than the people that they're supposed to act differently from. They're being exactly the same. And there's, you can feel the dig here. Jesus is questioning how their attitude towards their enemies is making them any better than the people who they thought were their actual enemies. And Jesus is saying, you can do better than this. See, what Jesus knows is that the accepted way of relating to our so-called enemies doesn't lead us to good places. But let's be honest, harboring a grudge, it kind of feels good, doesn't it? At least for a little bit, you know? And there's something about bitterness and resentment that kind of make us feel superior to other people, and we kind of like that feeling. And, and we can completely justify hating someone because of the things that they do, they've done. And again, there's something about that that in the short run kind of feels good. But in the long run, where does that lead us? And how is that working out for us? In Luke chapter 19, as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he'll eventually be crucified, we read this. But as he, this is Jesus, came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. You know, what Jesus can see is, is the result of harboring animosity towards our enemies is that it leads to destruction. And for the Jewish people, one of their enemies was the Romans that were occupying their country. And time and time again, there had been people and Jewish movements who had tried to overthrow their enemies. But what Jesus could see is this constant harboring of enemy hatred. He could see that it wasn't going to end well. And he pointed ahead to something that was going to happen about 40 years into the future as a result. And in 70 AD, in response to another Jewish rebellion... Titus of Rome laid siege to the city and starved it into submission. And uh, here's a picture of a piece of art celebrating uh, the Roman victory and what they were able to plunder. Um, and Jesus' words actually describe a Roman siege taking place. See, Jesus sees this catastrophe coming and says that if they'd recognize God's way of peace, if they'd chosen another path instead of enemy hatred, then things could have been different. Now, as drastic as an example as that might be, I wonder if it maybe gives us something to reflect on this morning. You know, what are the possible results of us harboring hatred, bitterness, animosity? What are the ramifications of that? What does that do to us? How is that leading us to things that aren't so good? You know, over the years, I've gotten to know quite a few people who've had to endure some really, honestly, hard things at the hands of other people. And in some cases, what impresses me is the joy that continues to be present in their lives. I'm sure it hasn't been easy, but their experience has not extinguished their love for life nor their love for people. But in other cases, what is evident is, that, is how an experience can negatively impact the rest of a person's life. And in how they talk about ordinary things, bitterness and anger can just sort of seep out. 
And so many of the relationships include things like conflict and threats and accusations. And, and even the way that they respond to the, small, the smallest offenses just seem to be like they're blo- blowing things out of proportion. See, the trauma that others cause us can really negatively impact who we are. And we have to do something about that. The difference, I think, can be found in what Jesus is talking about when he suggests that perhaps we need to rethink our default settings when it comes to the people that we're tempted to label as our enemies. Because leaning into those feelings of resentment, bitterness, animosity, embracing hatred may not be leading us to good places Now, this might sound a little silly and maybe a tad confusing, so let's see where this goes. Um, Here it is. We only know the things that we know, and we don't know the things that we don't. We only know the things that we know, and we don't know the things that we don't. Okay, maybe it's not confusing. Maybe it's just like saying, stating the obvious. And what I mean by this is that we usually have ways of doing things or, or approaches to different situations that we might face, and that's all we know until somebody shows us, shows us a different way. And up until that moment, when somebody offers us a different perspective or an alternative, we might think that our way is the only way. For those of us who have lived with another person, whether it be a roommate or a partner or or a family member, we know that this is true. You know, because at one point we've been doing something around the house, cooking perhaps, and somebody else walks into the room and they say, huh, you do it that way. Really? And the, the, tone, the tone in which they, they say that, it means that they don't do it the same way. In fact, they think that you're doing it wrong. And the resulting conversation, or maybe the resulting argument, is the opportunity when both parties realize that what we once thought was the way is in fact not the only way to approach the task. In a way, I think that this is what Jesus is doing in our passage today. You know, to people who have assumed that the only way to relate to their enemies is through the lens of hatred, Jesus gives us an alternative vision for how to relate to our enemies. And in verse 44, we see Jesus, Jesus says this, But I tell you, and before we get any further, that, that but I tell you is a signal that Jesus is taking them in a new direction. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, for some of us, we've heard these words enough that we've, and we've become familiar enough with Jesus' teachings that we just nod our heads. And we're like, yeah, sure, that makes sense, right? But I think we need to like, stop for a moment and let those words really sink in. Because instead of polite head nodding in agreement, it, I think it would be much more normal for us to find ourselves saying, like, this guy's nuts. Or like, Jesus, this isn't how this works in real life. Because what Jesus is talking about here is radical, it's countercultural, it's counterintuitive to what we know. See, what Jesus is suggesting here is that family member who's constantly offending us, that we're supposed to find ways of loving them. Or that person at work who seems to be for everything that we're against, that we're supposed to honor them and affirm their God-given value. Or that person at school who seems to constantly be trying to make our lives miserable, that we aren't supposed to be wishing them ill. Or that person who has wounded us, we're supposed to find a way to offer forgiveness. And so perhaps if we really think about this here, we, we can find ourselves saying, Jesus, this is just a little bit much, don't you think? But Jesus doesn't want us to see this as a command, just a command for the sake of telling people what to do. Rather, Jesus knows that the ways of harboring hatred doesn't lead to good places, but the way of love opens up new possibilities and is the way to grow in our relationship with God. 
And verse 45 talks about how when we love our enemies, that that is when we are embracing our identity as God's children. And as we embrace this sense that, the sense that we belong to God and we belong to God of an, in an intimate way, we discover God's presence and God's love and, and the, the, the source of, of healing and transformation to take place in our, way, in our lives in ways that we would have thought were impossible. The reality is, is that our relationship with God is not purely a private thing. It's not just between us and God. Yeah, for sure, it's about us discovering a life-giving connection with God, but as we grow in this relationship, it is rightfully expressed in our relationships with others, maybe perhaps especially expressed in in our relationships with our so-called enemies. Why? Well, because as, as children of God, we are called to be like God, allowing his life to become a part of who we are. And point blank, Jesus says, be like God. And he, points, he tells us that God is not withholding, but instead provides generously for the needs of all people, regardless of whether they are good or evil. And he uses the example of sunshine and rain. Look, God provides for the needs of all people. And Jesus says, be like God, and God isn't withholding, but acts with generosity. When we find ways to do this, we are embracing and growing in what it means to be children of God. Now, I think it's worth noting that when Jesus talks about loving our enemies, he's not simply talking about something that's emotional, that we feel. He's not just talking about thoughts and feelings. In fact, the reality is, in everything we've just talked about here, our thoughts and our feelings might be slow to catch up with, to what we're talking about this morning. But what Jesus is talking about involves, it involves us being active. You know, love is an action much more than it is a concept or a feeling. And so this morning, I want to close by reflecting on one way that Jesus teaches us that we can act on this way of love. And in this passage, we learn that prayer is a way that we learn to love our enemies. You know, those people who seem to be all about making our lives more difficult, Jesus says, pray for them. Not against them, but for them. You know, we might pray about people, but often, I don't know, the secret hopes in the back of my mind and my prayer in those moments is that somehow there would be a very precise piece of fire from heaven that falls down. Okay, some of you sighed, but you've had these, some of you have had these prayers too, okay? These are the honest ones, okay? Okay? That would hit this one exact person in a very precise moment in time and every, everybody else would be fine, of course, right? That's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> Thank goodness, okay? Otherwise, we all have to be looking up, okay? But we are choosing to pray that God's good would become real in that person's life. Now, practically, I think that this is hard, okay? This is hard stuff. And we might need to start this type of prayer by venting. You know, telling God all the ways that so-and-so has made our lives miserable and, and why we hate their guts. And unloading all the ways that they've hurt us and why, you know what, we feel totally justified holding a grudge. But something happens in these, those moments of honesty where God starts to work, to bring, and, and in that process, healing begins to take place. You know, at first we might find ourselves praying through gritted teeth, right? Like, I can't believe I'm doing this. But that's where we find a miracle starting to take place. That as we pray, we find that God starts to turn our hearts from being against to being for It's a transformation that reflects the heart that God has for those that we might want to name as our enemies. 
And the thing about prayer is that prayer, more often than not, is, is not really about someone else or something else, but ends up being about us, that we are changed as we pray. And so if you want to follow Jesus in, in the way of loving our enemies, if, if we want to let go of the hurt that others have caused, if we want to experience God at work, bring about transformation, um, then prayer will be a part of that. Praying for others will be the way that, a way that we embrace this way of love. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that Jesus isn't asking us to do anything here that he doesn't do himself. In a few weeks, it'll be Good Friday. And a part of the Good Friday story involves Jesus in agony on the cross, praying for those who just put him there, saying, Father, forgive them. See, when we pray for our so-called enemies, we are actually following the footsteps of Jesus. We are following Jesus. Now, as we wrap up, let me again just say, this isn't easy. This is, this is hard. If this was easy, I'd be lying to you, and I'd be a bad pastor, okay? Um, what we're talking about is hard work. But the good news is, is that this isn't something that we do under our own strength. The choice to love our enemies is the result of God being at work in our lives. And as we close this morning, we, are, we, want, we want to invite Jesus, we want to invite God to, to be a part of our lives, to remake our lives, including how we relate to those who are our so-called enemies. And so I invite you to join me in prayer as we uh, prepare for our closing song this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you again for today and for bringing us together. Lord, this idea of loving our enemies is not something that is easy. In fact, for some of us this morning, what comes to mind is the depth of the hurt and the, uh, the, the pain that others have caused us. Uh, what comes to mind are, are the various people who stand very, diamet very much diametrically opposed for what we stand for. And so, God, the idea of love does not come easy. And so, Lord God, this morning we ask that you would do something in our lives, Lord, helping us to see others as you see them. Lord, that you would this week move us to be praying for your good to take place in the lives of those around us and, and for those, those who are, have influence in our world in, in ways that we don't agree with. God, would you help us to be praying for your good, for your blessing, for your presence, Lord, and God, as we, pray, as we do this, may we know you at work in our lives transforming us. Lord, we want to be your children. We want to know the intimacy of, of, of being close to you. God, we are grateful for the ways that you're at work in our lives. Lord, we know that we are still in progress. We know that we are, are not finished. God, would you be at work in us this week? Could we see you at work in our lives this week? And so God, this morning... As we close, we, we invite you to come into our lives again. We invite you to speak. We ask that you would make us be, help us to be receptive to your presence. In your name we pray. Amen.